right, well, good morning. Uh, as Jay mentioned, my name is Jeff. I'm the assistant pastor around here, and I'm excited to be able to carry on in that sermon series that we've been in. Can you believe, I think we've been there since February, if I'm counting right, which is kind of amazing uh, that we've been in this one place for so long. But uh, if you're new around here, or if you were maybe only here for Easter week, last week we've been going through the book of John um, a little bit by a little bit at a time, and we are asking ourselves, are we going the right way? Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, carrying on in that series. So where we are today, because last week, of course, was Easter, so we talked about Good Friday, we did the cross, we talked about Easter Sunday, we talked about the empty tomb, but the story continues. Okay, so here we are today, we're going to be in John chapter 21, and we are post-resurrection, okay, we're, we're post-Jesus appearing to the disciples twice already, but we're also pre-ascension, so Jesus is still around, he's still roaming uh, the earth, doing whatever, appearing to the disciples even more, and the day of Pentecost, as we read in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, has not yet come. So post-resurrection, pre-ascension, pre-Pentecost is where we find ourselves today. So we're going to be in John 21. Uh, I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, to follow along, if you have your Bible app. That works as well, but we'll be in John 21, 1 through 14, and this is what it says. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, which by the way, uh, that's John, that's how he refers to himself, is the disciple that Jesus loved. So John therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. All right, so here's the scene that we have. The disciples, uh, there are seven of them that are together. There's, uh, there's um, Simon Peter. There's Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twins. Uh, there are, uh, th there's uh, Nathaniel of Galilee. There's the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and that means two. And there's two others um, that we don't get their names. Uh, so if I'm doing my math right, if I'm counting right, there's seven disciples altogether. Uh, we know that three of them, we know that the sons of Zebedee, and we know that Simon Peter are fishermen by trade. Uh, we're not necessarily privy to what the others do. Uh, Nathaniel and Thomas may be fishermen. The other two may be fishermen. We just don't know. 
Uh, some people believe that they are because they are all going fishing together, but it could just be that their connection is that they were disciples of Jesus. We don't necessarily know that, but they've gone back to Galilee at this point. And if, if you want to know why they're in Galilee, it's because if you read Matthew's account of Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene, he tells Mary to tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. And so that's why they pack up and they head towards Galilee. And while they're waiting, they go fishing. Um, they're doing something to kill time, I, I suppose, and they just decide that they're going to go fishing. So uh, forgive me for thinking this, but this is just the way I envision it. They, they've decided they've got their cooler full of Bud Light because that's the only place where that stuff's good. They, they've got Jimmy Buffett ready on the Bluetooth speaker, and they're heading out on the lake for a fishing trip together. Uh, and so they go to the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. And if you want to know where that is, we've got a, a little map that I want to show you here. Uh, for where that is uh, relative to where they had been. So that green section that you see, uh, you see Judea, and just under where it says Judea, and over to the right, you see the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where Jesus uh, was praying and sweated blood, and you see Golgotha, which is the hill on which Jesus was crucified. So take that over, and you run into the, the Dead Sea and the Jordan River, and you follow the Jordan River up, and you get to the Sea of Galilee. It's about 120 miles away from where all the events of the crucifixion and resurrection happened. So that's where we're at right now. And there are just a couple things that I want to point out about this scenario before we get into the, the, the one, two, three of the message today. First of all, this is not the first miraculous catch, if I can call it that. Okay? If, if you're not aware, in Luke chapter 5, which I know it's a different letter, but, but all the same, it's one of the accounts of the Gospels. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus has just called some of the disciples, and it's after a long day of fishing. They're washing their nets. Jesus uh, asks Simon Peter to take him out in the boat. Simon Peter takes him out in his boat. Jesus teaches people from the boat. And while they're still out there, after Jesus is done teaching, he says, Cast, or, let down your nets and Peter says, Master, we have toiled all day long. We've been out here fishing. We haven't caught anything. But if you say so, I'll do it. And then what happens is they cast their nets and they catch so many fish that they can't, uh, they can't put them all in. They start to split it among the boats. Both boats start to sink. That's how many fish that they caught. Now, the difference between that account and this account, uh, for me, one of the main differences is just where it happens in the chronology of things. Okay, so in Luke chapter 5, Jesus had just called the disciples. He'd just been introduced to them, and the disciples haven't been through a thing or two with Jesus yet. They don't necessarily know who he is. They don't necessarily know what he's all about just yet. And so this is one of those signs, this is one of those miracles that helps them to believe. Okay, at this point, in John 21, they've already been through a thing or two with Jesus. They've, they've done ministry with him. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him multiply food to feed thousands and thousands of people. And so, in a way, there's no real need for this catch. It's not Jesus trying to convince them of who he is. It's just Jesus deciding to, to let them have a good catch. More on that a little bit later. The second thing that I just want to point out about this, it's so very ordinary. Okay, with the catch aside, there's nothing terribly profound about all this. There's no teaching, there's no healing, there's no reckless actions by Peter that Jesus has to call him out for. There's no nothing. Like on the surface, there's nothing really here. 
Um, there, there's a distinct lack of dialogue, which I think is very interesting, um, because there are really only a few phrases that are said. Okay, there's Jesus saying to the disciples, do you have any fish? And they respond, no. And Jesus says, cast your net on the right and you will catch some. There's John saying to Peter, it's the Lord. And then there's Jesus saying, bring some of the fish that you've just caught and come and have breakfast. Nothing terribly profound. And yet for some reason, John includes this. Okay, so if you've been with us for a while, you know that we're running everything that we read, every anecdote, every story that John tells us, we're running it through a lens. Uh, and the lens is what John writes in John 20, 30 through 31, which says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so everything that John writes, he writes on purpose. There is a reason why John included this story. I'm trying to figure out what it is, right? That's what I'm trying to get at with you today. Because the first two times that Jesus appears to the disciples, um, he does something relatively profound, right? He, uh, in one account, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens. And then in the other one, he appears to uh, Thomas, who wasn't there the first time around. And he says to Thomas, feel my hands, feel my side, feel my feet. I'm real. I'm really, really, truly here. But this time around, he just helps them catch some fish, which he's done before. And he cooks them breakfast. So what is it that John is trying to tell us about Jesus? What is it that John wants you and I to believe about Jesus in this story? And there are three things that I want to share with you out of that. Number one, Jesus cares about your normal life, including your work. John makes a point to say that Jesus uh, revealed himself in this way, which makes me ask, what is this way? What, what is it about this appearance of Jesus that, that is different from the others? And one of, one of the differences is that beforehand in Jerusalem, when Jesus appeared to the disciples, they were hidden. They were locked away. They were hiding for fear of the Jews because they'd been associated with everything that, that led up to the events of Jesus's crucifixion. So they hid after the fact. And somehow, if you're into X-Men, Jesus pulls a kitty pride and he just like comes through the wall somehow, I have no idea how, and he's just there and he appears to them. But now they're in Galilee. Now they're 120 miles away. They're somewhere different and they're out in the open just doing their thing. Like I said, for, for all we know, all seven of them were fishermen. At least three of them were. So at least three of them are, for all accounts and purposes, they're just at work. Um, and, 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 and Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, he doesn't say that they ought to be doing something else. He doesn't say that, that they should be out evangelizing to all the guys on the other boats. He doesn't say that they should be holding prayer meetings. He doesn't say that they should be doing Bible studies or anything like that. He just asks, have you caught anything? He cares about their normal life. He cares about their work. And I believe that the same is true for you and me. I believe that Jesus cares about your normal life, and I believe that Jesus cares about your work. Because the way that the church grows is for you to take Jesus into your life. The text says, as you go, make disciples. So, so there's, there's something here where, where we're taking Jesus into the places where we go. And so that includes our work, whether it's in a bank, a courtroom, classroom, coffee shop, retail, advertising, landscaping, hospitals, restaurants, whatever it is that you work in, the idea is that you take Jesus there. 
One of my favorite verses is uh, 2 Corinthians 15 and 16, which says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And so if you've ever been around here and you've heard us talk about events for college students and young adults around here, you might have heard us use the phrase, the press. Uh, and, and because I uh, had the privilege of, of uh, making that name, I just want to kind of let you in under the, un, under the hood, so to speak, to, to let you know why that's the case. The vision, as far as I'm concerned, is that there's, there's a wine press because we're a vineyard and at a vineyard you grow grapes and the idea behind growing the grapes is to make wine, okay? So the grapes go into the wine press and as they're crushed, as they're fulfilling their purpose, they release an aroma. And an aroma is fragrances, they, they, they smell, they spread, they, they go out into places. And so in that life season of, of going through college, transitioning, graduating, starting your, your work, getting into your career, my goal is to help college students and young adults to, to not just go to the Jesus place, not just come to church, but also to learn the Jesus way and then to walk the Jesus way in the ordinary places, because that's how the church grows. Okay, the other side of this interaction is that Jesus cared about their success in fishing. Okay, when he, when he asked them, have you caught any fish? And they say no. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it. Come to shore. I've got some catfish sandwiches. We've got some bacon and eggs. Everything's great. I've got breakfast ready for you. For whatever reason, Jesus sees fit to tell them to cast the net on the other side, on, on the right-hand side, so that they'll catch fish. And uh, speaking of which, I, I just tripped myself up there on the words because he doesn't say other side. He says specifically the right side, which makes me personally question, is there something significant about the right side? Is there something about that that makes it special? Um, I don't know for sure, but there are a couple of possible explanations. I want to submit them to you, and I want you to consider them as you uh, go out of this place today. The first suggestion is that they've already tried every possible angle and combination. They've fished on the left. They've fished on the right. They've cast the nets in front of the boat. They've cast the nets behind the boat. All the different angles and any, anything possible. They've already tried anything and everything. And if that's the case, then the question you and I have to ask out of this is, Will you continue to obey when Jesus tells you to do something, even when that method has failed you in the past? In Luke 5, Jesus tells the disciples to cast their nets after an unsuccessful night of fishing. And Peter responds, Master, we fished all night, but if you say so, I'll do it. And then he casts the net and they catch so many fish that the nets start to break and the, the ships start to sink. Right? It would be easy to read this and to say that the disciples just couldn't, uh, just couldn't catch fish until Jesus came along. Okay, it, that's a snap reaction in my opinion, um, because I, I would just want to push back. If you're the type of person who reads this and you say, well, clearly what the story is saying is that without Jesus, we can't do anything, and with Jesus, we can do everything. Okay, let me just push back just a tiny little bit, and here's why. These guys are professional fishermen, Okay. They're not just bumbling idiots who don't know what they're doing when they're fishing, and then Jesus just decides to bless their clueless efforts and give them a big load of fish. They're professionals, okay? They had a bad night at work. Have you ever had a bad night at work? Have you ever been doing your job and you're trying the same thing and it just isn't working? 
Because the thing is, is I'm, I'm convinced personally, I'm convinced that before any of these guys met Jesus, there were days where they caught loads of fish and there were days where they caught none. And I'm convinced that after Jesus decided to ascend, whenever they went fishing, some days they caught a lot and sometimes they caught none at all. It's just a slippery slope, in my opinion, to suggest that without Jesus, you'll definitely fail, and with Jesus, you'll definitely succeed. Because the point is, they had a bad night at work. When Jesus showed up, when he told them to do something, they obeyed. That, I believe, is the point. The second suggestion, um, I found this on the internet, so maybe take it with more than a grain of salt, because the internet will tell you a lot of things if you're not already aware of that. But I read this, I I didn't get it verified in a commentary or anything, so uh, I I just think it's interesting. But the, the suggestion is that in that day and age, you would have a fishing crew, and they'd be split up into rowers and, and casters, effectively, okay? And on the right-hand side, you would put the rowers, because that, that lets them maximize the, the, the strength in their right arm, because most people, sorry lefties, most people are right-handed. Um, so they, they would be able to maximize the power, the strength that's in their right arm as they're rowing. And then the the fishermen would be on the other side. They'd be on the left-hand side, but they would be facing the back of the boat. And I'm not going to turn my back on you because that's just rude, okay? But the, the, the idea is the same because if this is the side of the boat, then I'm casting my net. And as I'm lifting it up, same thing. I'm able to leverage the power in my right hand to lift the fish up. So if that is the case, if that is the significance of cast your net on the right side, then I would suggest that the application for us there is that sometimes as followers of Jesus, we're asked to go against convention, we're asked to go against common wisdom, common practice, the thing that you and I have always done, and like that's the way we do it, that's the way people do it around here. Sometimes Jesus is going to ask you to break that. Sometimes he's going to ask you to do it a different way. And the question is, will you go his way when he tells you to go his way? I can't help but think personally that both applications are worth considering. Jesus cares about your life. He cares about your work. He wants you to succeed in your work. And that success might come when you're at the end of your rope. That success might come after you've had a long night of fishing where you haven't caught anything. Which, by the way, just a fun fact, the reason why uh, John points out that, that this happened just as day was breaking is because night fishing was actually better as the fish couldn't see the net, so they were completely unaware. But as the day is breaking, the sun is shining and fish are aware of the net. So that's part of the, uh, part of the miracle of it, if you will. That's just a fun little factoid that I wanted to share with you. So number two, as we move on. The second thing I think John wants us to see about Jesus in this story is that Jesus wants what you've caught. I think it's interesting that after Jesus gives the disciples the instruction that lets them catch the 153 fish, they bring the fish to shore and Jesus already has fish and bread ready for them. He already has it laid out. To me, that's just, that's just amusing. That's the way I operate. I've had friends who like, they don't start cooking until you show up. Me personally, I'm the guy who's like, dinner's got to be ready five minutes before you show up just because that's how I operate. But all the same, Jesus had what they, he, he had what they needed. He had something prepared for them, but he still asked them to contribute. Now it could be 
that Jesus only had a few fish. But personally, I have a hard time getting to that point because if this is the Jesus who's helping them catch more than their net can hold, more than they can possibly drag up, then I have a hard time believing that Jesus didn't have enough fish to feed his disciples. I just can't personally get there. And yet all the same, he asks the disciples to bring some of what they caught. This is what I think this means. Whatever success God helps you achieve does not actually belong to you. This is a pattern we see all throughout Scripture. We see, we see Abraham, who, who, uh, who God promises Abraham a son, and all these years go by, and they still don't have a son, and then he finally has a son, and as they're going about enjoying their young child, uh, God asks Abraham to bring and sacrifice his son. Now, if you haven't read the story, don't worry. Abraham doesn't actually go through with it because God stops him. Okay? When you read about Job, you read about a man who um, he, he's blessed with a lot of livestock, he's got a big family, he's got a lot of money, everything's going really well for Job, and then all of a sudden everything gets taken away. Here's the deal. There's nothing that you and I can give to God that he needs from us. When we talk about tithing around here, it's not because we're desperate for money. It's not because God's desperate for money. It's not because God is greedy. It's not because he's trying to keep you from having any fun. It's not because he's just trying to scrape to get by. Here's the deal. Paul talks about the spirit and the letter of the law. It's somewhere in Romans. I can't remember off the top of my head. But if you've never thought about what that means, the spirit of the law and the letter of the law, you have what the law actually says, and you have what is the heart behind it. So my favorite example of this is always just to talk about a stop sign, because all that a stop sign says is stop, right? But the idea is that you put stop signs at a crucial intersection where th maybe there's a lot of foot traffic, maybe there's businesses that people are going to and from, Maybe, uh, maybe there's just a lot of traffic one way or another, but it's not enough to put in a light. I'm not a civil engineer, so I can't really speak to that. But, but the idea being, you need to stop because if everyone's going fast, if everyone's flying through both ways, then people are going to get hit and cars are going to get hit and it's all going to pile up and everybody's going to be late to work and it's no good, very bad situation. But you don't have room to put that on that sign. So what you put on the sign is stop. Okay? In the same way, the letter of the law is tithe. And if you don't believe that that applies to the New Testament, you'll hear us talk about this around here. Just read what, what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23. Because he tells the Pharisees, you should be tithing of the things that you have while not neglecting doing justice and mercy. So the things go together. You don't get to do one in place of the other. Okay, this idea, this practice of parting with what's yours, because that is the spirit of the law. It, it says tithe, but the spirit is give up some of what is yours. Don't hang on to everything that you have. And that idea is all throughout scripture. But let me move away from tithe because I think that's far too narrow of a scope of what Jesus is talking about. I don't even think that's what Jesus is really asking them for. He's asking them to give him a part of what he helped them to get. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when I was a bit younger, still living with my parents. My parents live on a, a five-acre plot of land, and there's, um, there's foliage around a, a couple of the, side of, the, of the borders of the land, and there would be blackberry bushes. Sometimes me and my mom, we would go and we'd pick blackberries, and my mom would make an absolutely heavenly blackberry cobbler. And I'm just saying, when that stuff's out of the oven and you get a scoop of vanilla ice cream with it, I mean, you're done. Like, it is just incredible. But the idea is that, that when my mom commissioned me to get blackberries, 
it's not unfair for her to ask for them from me because she's going to do something with them. She's helping me to find them, but she is going to do something with them. And in the same way, Jesus is serving the disciples because remember, the Bible tells us that the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. And so in that, Jesus is serving in the disciples and he's just asking them to pitch in. That's all it is. He's just asking them to pitch in. So the question for you and me is, where is Jesus asking us to pitch in? What time or talent or resources do you have that Jesus can use? Not that he needs, not that he's desperate for, but that he can use. Because there's a, there's a phrase that you'll hear around the vineyard that everyone gets to play. And as someone on our staff wisely once pointed out, the, the other side of that is that everyone plays. That at some point, you're not just riding the bench. At some point, you're going to get involved. You're going to take that bat and you're going to have an at-bat eventually. But everyone gets to play. Everyone has something that they can offer. So what is it for you? Do you have a teachable spirit? Do you have a little bit of time on Sunday mornings to serve through a couple services? Because let me just tell you, Michael has told me he can train you on anything production related. He'll teach you how to point a camera. He'll teach you how to run slides. He'll teach you how to run the lights. He'll even teach you to work the soundboard. Okay, so do you have time? Are you willing to be taught? Come and get involved with that. Do you have musical ability? Do you have a voice? Do you play an instrument? Come be a part of the worship team. We're not like dying for volunteers, praise the Lord, but we can always plug more people in. Do you love holding babies? Do you love teaching kids about Jesus? Get involved with V-Kids. Do you have a heart for middle schoolers and high schoolers, but you're afraid that you're not cool enough? You, you are cool enough, okay? Can I just say, as someone who occasionally works uh, with the youth, if I can do it, you can do it, okay? You don't have to be cool. That is a lie. That is a myth. The thing that matters in youth ministry is faithfulness and genuineness. Authenticity would be a better word, but I didn't think of it in time right? What, care, what matters is that you show up, that you're faithful, and that you're consistent. You don't have to know all the trends on TikTok. You don't have to be into that kind of stuff. You just show up and be consistent. There's always going to be a place where you can plug in. There's always going to be a place where you can serve. But it even extends beyond just the operations of church and Sunday mornings, because the bottom line of it is God wants your life. He wants access to your time, to your money, to your relationships, your works, your talents, everything that you have, God wants access to it. And I say that on purpose. I say he wants access to it because I'm not of the mind that God's always going to ask you for absolutely everything. Jesus didn't say how many fish he was asking for. He didn't say, bring me 10% of your fish. He didn't say, bring me all 153 of your fish. He just said, bring some of what you've caught. And while we don't get the details, I imagine that Jesus could say, no, I need more, or no, you don't have to bring that many. But you get the idea. He wants access to what they've caught. Because he can't be Lord if he's not Lord of your entire life. It just doesn't work that way. And surrendering to Jesus, I'm of the mind, surrendering to Jesus is the most freeing thing you can possibly do. And as I was trying to think of an analogy for this, I already know that theologically this doesn't hold up, so let me just put that disclaimer out there now, okay? Because our debt is paid. Theologically, our sin debt is paid by Jesus in full. There's nothing we have to do to atone for it. But the, 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 the metaphor that I couldn't help but think of is when you have a loan of any type, okay? One way or another, it's going to hurt you to pay that loan, 
right? Because you're either going to be getting the bill every month that's reminding you this is what you owe. We need this much money from you by this point. And this much, if you have a mortgage, it's like this much is principal, this much is interest, this much is escrow, whatever. That's going to hurt too. It's also going to hurt if you pay it all up front because that's usually a lot of money. But, but the idea being that one of those things hurts less or hurts for less time. And I'm just here to tell you that if you would just surrender to Jesus right now, if you would just give him everything right now, that's going to go a lot better for you than if you keep going one square inch at a time being like, okay, Lord, you can have that. Okay, you can have that. Okay, you can have that. That is tedious. That is painful. It's better for us to just surrender here and now. So Jesus is asking for what you've caught. And then number three, Jesus invites you to come and eat breakfast. I just, I love that the last words that we get from Jesus are an invitation. He just says, come and have breakfast. After their long night, after they've been out fishing all night and they haven't caught anything, and, and then they finally get this catch, he invites them to come and share a meal. He asks them to bring a portion of their catch, and then he invites them to come and rest. And personally, I love breakfast. It's, 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 I, I don't always eat it every day, but when I do eat it, it's my favorite meal of the day. Um, if, if you, like, I was talking about uh, my favorite breakfast with somebody earlier, taking everything bagel, you toast it, do cream cheese on both sides, a couple of over easy eggs and some bacon, and you are in business, my friend. But, but breakfast is such a unique meal because when you have lunch, you've been working, right, up until your lunch, and then when you're done with lunch, you've got to go back to work. And then when there's supper, it's usually such a big to-do that you've got a lot of prep work to do and you've got a lot of cleanup to do afterwards. But there's something about breakfast, especially on Saturdays, but that's beside the point. There's just something about breakfast that is that much more restful and relaxing. And I believe that in sharing this story, John is reminding us of the side of Jesus that cares for us because it's not all urgency, all business, all of the time. Yes, evangelism is important. Yes, the kingdom work that we're called to is important. It's important for us to be healing the sick and, and, and clothing the naked and feeding the hungry. Those things are very, very important for us. It's important for you to pray. It's important for you to study your Bible. That's very important. But every so often, you just need to take a break and you need to come and eat breakfast. And another, another part of this that I, I really appreciate personally as an introvert is that John does not say a single word that was said after that. We, we have no idea what they talked about. We don't know if they were talking about their, uh, their, their experiences in ministry and their memories that they had walking with Jesus. They, we don't have them talking about how the, 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 the resurrection worked and how Jesus is going to ascend. We don't get any of that. And what that tells me is that they weren't talking about anything particularly important. And I can't help but think that some of you need to know that it's okay for you to relax and to rest. Some of you need to be reminded that it's okay for you to have a conversation about whatever it is that you love, whether that's sports or your job or your garden or your grandkids or your car or your pets, whatever it is, just because it's not holy, as it were, doesn't mean that you can't enjoy it. You also need to be reminded that those things are a gift from God. Because I want you to note that Jesus made them 
breakfast. Jesus didn't say, I'll let you make breakfast. Bring some of your fish. Make me breakfast. Right? He served. Jesus initiated it. He provided it. And he endorsed them taking a break and resting. So let me recap for you. John says that Jesus appeared to the disciples in this way. And as we spend time reflecting on the story, as, as we look at the three phrases that Jesus uses, I believe that he's inviting us into three specific things. Because Jesus provided opportunities for obedience. When he says, cast your nets on the right side. Will you try again, even though you've tried and you've tried and you've not succeeded? Or, and or, will you do it in a way that doesn't look like everybody else? Will you break with what your normal routine and ritual and habits have been to do it the way that Jesus asks you to do it? He provides opportunity for surrender when he says, bring some of what you've caught. Will you bring Jesus your win? Will you bring Jesus your success? Will you bring him the thing that you've been trying and trying and trying for however long to get, and then you finally get it? Will you bring it? Will you bring your job? Will you bring your money? Will you bring your marriage? Will you bring your success and work, your education? Whatever it is, if Jesus asks you for it, does he have access to it? And then finally, he provided opportunities for rest. When he says, come and have breakfast. After that you've obeyed and after you've surrendered, will you take the time? Will you relax? Will you actually be with Jesus and just turn off for a little bit? Because I'm of the mind that kingdom life involves all three. We obey, we surrender, we rest. We rest from the work that Jesus has had for us and we rest up for the work that Jesus has for us. And as we go and as we obey and as we surrender, guess what? You get to rest after that. You get to have breakfast with Jesus after that. And that's an amazing thing. And so what I want to do today is I just want to invite you to come and pray. Maybe you're at any one of those stages. Maybe you're finding yourself at a place where God has been asking you to do something time and time again, or you've been trying something time and time and time again. And Jesus is just saying, do it again. Try it again. Try it this time. Or try it this way. If that's where you're at, and if you just need the encouragement to, to get up and to do it again, I want to invite you to come and pray. If you're at a place where you feel like God is asking you for something, he's, maybe he's provided you with something, maybe he's provided you with time or anything like that, or any kind of resource, and you feel like he's asking you for that, maybe you're having a hard time letting go. Listen, it's okay to come pray about that. It's, it's okay to come and ask somebody to lay their hands on you or not and pray with you. It's okay for you to do that. Or maybe you're just at a place where you need a break. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you feel like you've been doing what God has, has wanted you to do, and you know that you want to obey him. You know that you want to surrender in the future, but you are just tired. I want to invite you to come and pray and, 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 and seek God for that opportunity just to rest. Because sometimes, let me just tell you, sometimes we just need somebody to put a hand on our shoulder and say, it's going to be okay. Because it is. And so wherever you're at with that this morning, I just want to invite you to come up and pray. If you're watching online, in the bottom right-hand corner should be a button that says chat. I want to invite you to press that button and pray with somebody real who is there to pray for you. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, can we just take a moment? Let's come before the Lord in prayer. And then I want to invite you to come and, and pray with somebody one-on-one. -on -one. 
Father, as we come before you this morning, I just want to thank you for your gospel. I just want to thank you for this story, the, the, the ordinary nature of it, the, the non-super non spiritual, non-profound nature of it, that you just meet us in the ordinary days. You meet us when we're at work. You meet us as we're waiting. You meet us in those places. And in the middle of it, you invite us to obey. You invite us to surrender. And then you invite us to rest. Thank you, Jesus, that you came not to be served, but to serve. Even though you are, are, have been giving the name that is higher than any other name, you still made yourself as nothing and you came and you served us. I want to thank you that you're that kind of savior for us. God, this morning, as, as we come together, as we think about this word, as we worship, God, would you just call our hearts to, to, unto you? Holy Spirit, would you show us where we're at, which stage of that that we're at? And, and would you help us to take the next step of obedience, of surrender, or of rest? Would you call us to yourself? Would you, God, draw near to us? Because we need you this morning. We need you in all things and all times and in all places. We need you. And we come this morning humbling ourselves before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to go ahead and stand up. We're going to spend a little more time uh, in worship. And like I said, I just want to invite you to come and pray if that message is for you today.